Huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, your buddy's laying there. <laughs> I gave him the full five seconds. And I didn't even realize that. Until I just, as soon as it was done, he's like, get the barbs out of my back. Buckle up. You're listening to Terminal Exchange. I'm Philip Adams, and this is episode 54 of Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Nussbaum Transportation. Have you ever taken the full five seconds? I have not, and I don't have any plans to, but in this feature exchange, former police officer and current Nussbaum driver, Jeff Jackson, tells us all about the time he gave his buddy the full five seconds. Before we play this exchange, I want to give a special shout out to all of our current and former law enforcement officials, military service members, and first responders. I don't believe these brave individuals get nearly enough gratitude and respect for the work they do, but from my humble little corner here, I want to say thank you. And now, sharing his story and insight, here is Jeff Jackson with the full five seconds. Mr. Jeff Jackson. I know it, it feels early this morning. It's Friday morning, but uh, appreciate you coming in and, and taking time to talk with me a bit. Absolutely. So you've been here with Newsbomb now for how long has it been? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And you're doing, um, are you a road captain? Road captain. And, and a trainer uh, as well. How's that been you know, going for you? How how you liking that, that Good. duty? Good. Uh, the training has kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, here in the past couple months, but they're from probably September 2018 to October 2019. It was flowing pretty good. Yeah. What's uh, in doing that? I mean, is that something that you had ever done previously, like training type work or at, at a, whether in trucking or anything else? I was a firearms instructor uh, for Pekin Police Department for 15 years. Okay. Um, interesting correlation there as far as, you know, definitely got safety front of mind, right? Right. <laughs> it's like, if you're not careful, you could kill somebody with this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's it. I know a lot of retired law enforcement officers that are now driving trucks. Interesting. We have several of them here. What, 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 what about that do you think kind of made that transition? I don't know. I've thought about that a lot. Um. For me, I think it's probably got to do with driving Okay. because, I mean, I don't think a lot of people think about law enforcement as being something that you drive a lot. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Your office is your car. Yeah. You know, and you get more room in the truck now, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> the squad cars, once you get your vest on and all your equipment and everything, you're kind of crammed in there. This is going to sound bad. I have... I sat in a squad car before, but in actually in the driver's seat. Um, and I'm surprised at just how, I mean, once you have all, especially now with all the, the laptop and all the just equipment and everything around, it's, it's kind of tight in there. It's very confined. Yeah, it is. I think it surprises a lot of people. Yeah. I, it's one of those that I, I think about that. I was like, how, how do you actually spend 
hours upon hours potentially in here, you know, throughout the day that it's uh, I might get a little claustrophobic, I think, but yeah, well, I think the windows help definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you were just in that space and you were completely closed in and couldn't mm-hmm. see out or anything, I think I'd probably, I, I totally get why they're sw- making the switch over to the SUVs seems to be the, the thing. Those probably have a little bit more that is, room. That is a big thing. Uh, whether they're four-wheel drive or not. Mm -hmm. Sit up a little bit higher, too. Give you a little bit Mm -hmm. better view of things, too. Yep. uh, Let's take back here. Uh, So, obviously, we know you've been in law enforcement. I wanted to definitely talk about that. But uh, prior to that, uh, you served in military? I was, yeah, I was in the Marine Corps for four years. And uh, while you were there, what what all, what were you doing? What was your capacity? I was, well, I went in in 87, and I went through boot camp and school of infantry, and then I went to, I actually got lucky. A lot of the guys in, that I went through boot camp with, we all went to Hawaii. Okay. We got stationed there. Okay. With 3rd Battalion, 3rd Marines. So that was my my base of operations, if you will. Okay. Um, where I was stationed. And then we deployed from there to Okinawa a couple times, um, Thailand. Philippines, and then ultimately the Gulf. Okay. I was going to ask you if you were still in when right. when right. ended up in the Gulf. Yeah. Uh, we had just got back from Okinawa and Thailand, spent six and a half months over there. And then we had just gotten back, and we weren't even back in Hawaii for a week when mm. Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. So mm-hmm. we were gone again. And then I got out shortly after the Gulf War. What was that experience like for you? Surreal when I think about it now. I mean, I hated it over there, but mm. looking back on it now, you know, it's probably some of the best times I ever had. Mm. For sure, the best Christmas I ever had. How so? Well, here over there, you know, where it all started, you know. Neat. And yeah. It, we didn't have all the things that you have. For Christmas around here, you know, there was not a bunch of decoration. Didn't have all the commercialization of it, right? right? Exactly. And if you squinted your eyes just right at night, the sand looked like snow, you know. So Fun. <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it was the most meaningful Christmas. Sounds Fair like. enough. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, when you were there, though, what what specifically were you responsible for? What were you, you actually doing there? Okay, so I was... Uh, I started out and we went over there as an assistant gunner on a, a mortar. Okay. Uh, 81 millimeter mortar. I was in weapons company. So I started out as an A gunner. And while we were there, our gunner got reassigned. So I moved up to gunner and then eventually into a squad leader position. But I was in the infantry the whole time I was in the Marines. I think that's what we're looking for. No, oh, gotcha. How do you view that experience now as uh, in the bigger scheme of, you know, your life, your career, everything, what, what did serving mean for you? Well, definitely helped me grow up. It probably shaped a lot of my attitudes and things. And my kids would probably say that <laughs> I was kind of hard, you know, with discipline and everything. And, <laughs> but definitely helped me grow up and, I don't know. It was it was kind of a filler in between high school, and I knew I wanted to go in law enforcement since I was four years old. So, 
you can't become a police officer until you're 21. So what better thing to do, do than join the Marines, right? There you go. <laughs> you know, I think if you talk to a little kid, you know, you're going to get your typical answers, right? So if you're talking to that four-year-old, you know, what kid doesn't say either, you know, I want to be a police officer or a fireman or a doctor, or, you know, something to that effect. Right. Um, but you actually, it, that, that that state is your dream. Did, did, did that Never sway? Anything else. Really? Why? Well, I mean, what, what, what about that? Did you have family or anybody else that you knew that was in law enforcement? There was a guy that lived down the street named Gordy Anderson. And I think he started out as Tazewell County deputy. And then he went to Pekin. And I remember him from when I was little. He would always smell my mom's chili when she was cooking chili. And <laughs> inevitably, his squad car would show up in the driveway every time. And nice. So I have a picture of me when I was four sitting on the roof of his squad in handcuffs. <laughs> and he still got the picture, too. Uh, That's a lot of fun. And then he went on to retire from the railroad after leaving Pekin. So uh, I still talk to him, still run into him every once in a while. We met at McDuff's a couple months ago. or Well, yeah. I hadn't seen him. In, That's cool. Oh. I can't tell you how long it's been since I'd seen him. That's cool. That is that, that's that's really neat to have that connection. So, did as you were growing up and like getting in teen years and everything, was there anything that you did to kind of like? Did you ever go do any sort of shadowing or do anything like that, or did you just know that one day I'm going to go do the academy, go do? Oh, like when I was a teenager. Yeah. Did that? Did did you no, I, get involved at all in any of that stuff? Or I didn't do like the explorers and stuff. Yeah. I just. I just didn't get into that, uh, but I did join. Uh, like I went into the Marine Corps on the delayed entry program. Okay. When I was, I guess, I had just turned seventeen when I got into that. I didn't turn eighteen until after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Two days after I turned eighteen, I left for boot camp. Wow. Wow. It was it was an experience. It was a wake up call. Yeah. For a kid. What did your family think about that? Like your your parents and uh, they were always supportive. My dad, after I took the ASVAB and I scored pretty well on it, and he wondered what what I was going to do, and I told him I wanted to do the infantry, and he wasn't real happy about that, mm. but uh, he got over it. So yeah. parents were pretty on board with it. Whole family was. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any siblings or anything that? Uh did anything similar? Uh, my brother, um, he passed away in 2006. But after I went in, he went. He had been in the Army. He was quite a bit older. I was born late in life. Okay. My mom was 47 and my dad was 54. Oh, okay. When they had me. Yeah. So, but my brother, he, uh, he went back into the reserves when I went into the Marine Corps. I guess he... It motivated him or something. I don't know. <laughs> Rekindled something there. <laughs> yeah. And so we were actually both over in the Persian Gulf at the same time, too. Interesting. Did you have any contact while you were over there at all? No, we tried. My gunny uh, took me out on a mission to go find sandbags, quote unquote. Gotcha. Because uh, Marine Corps is always looking for things, you know, the Army has. And uh, we went to several. We knew that he was on an MP base. 
but we did not know where he was at. So we went around to several and then finally he said, I'm sorry, you know, we weren't really here looking for sandbags, but we got to get back to battalion. I'm like, that's fine. Thank you for taking me out here and looking for him. That's pretty awesome, though, to have yeah, you know, someone looking out for you like that. Yes, especially Gunny Williams. That's <laughs> I can cool. Still hear his voice in my head. That's fun. So, how did you then, uh, after finishing up your service, how did you manage to transition into law enforcement? Well, when I got out, I got out in June of '91, and I started college at ICC in East Peoria. I started going there for uh, police science, law enforcement mm-hmm. classes, and working on my associate's degree. And I just started testing with every police department that I could. You know, I mean, my wife, we got married and had my oldest son. And uh, we had talked about maybe moving to Missouri. So mm. I tested with the Missouri Highway Patrol and Columbia, Missouri Police mm-hmm. Department, um, Capitol Police in Jefferson City, of course, Pekin. And actually, I was on Pekin's list. I was number three on the list for about, hmm, it was almost two years. The list was about to expire. We were going to have to retest and when I got called. And they called me, and the Missouri Highway Patrol and the Jefferson City Capitol Police all called at the same time. All at the same time? All in the same week. No kidding. Yeah, so I had a big decision to make. No doubt. I chose Pekin because that's where I'm from. Sure. family there. And at the time, this was 93, they were paying probably $4,000 more a year than what the Missouri Highway Patrol was. Really? Mm-hmm. That seems surprising to me, but that's... That surprised me, too. But... I guess that worked out for you then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you always wonder, you know, I mean, what would life be like? And I went to the highway patrol in Missouri mm-hmm. and, you know, been living there for the last 30 years. Right. But yeah. Can't spend too much time looking back on things like that. No, no, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. I don't no, think. No. <laughs> so uh, tell me then what, uh, as uh, now a police officer, what all, um, did you do, were you doing patrol and uh, you weren't sitting behind a desk or anything, I assume, so? Well, I did. Um, as soon as I got hired, of course, I went to the academy. And after the academy, I got into the firearms training and uh, started going through the classes at the U of I for that and became a master firearms instructor. And so I did that, and then I spent two stents or tours and investigations. Oh, okay. I was there for a year each time. The first time I was there, I hated it. Uh, (laughs) Why was that? It's, it's so different than patrol. You know, when you're on patrol, you're, you're out in amongst the public and everything. When you're in investigations, it's mostly, you know, you, you get to everything way after the fact. Yeah. You get all uh, patrols reports that, you know, they couldn't follow up on or whatever. And it's a lot of phone calls and sitting behind a desk, like you were saying. So you did actually sit behind the desk and yeah. and do yeah. do quite a bit of that. Yep. And so then several years later, I after one year, I was like, I'm done. I want to go back to patrol. Several years later, I got a little bit older, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'll give it another shot. <laughs> 
I went back for another year, and I liked it better that time, but okay. still, patrol's where it's at. What What is it about the the patrol? I know you mentioned just kind of being out and around the people, but what what about patrolling really kind of, if that's where it's at, why is that? Uh, well, it's the best job on a police department. You know, once you get up into command and everything, you're more administrative when you're in patrol. I, I have friends that are on peak and PD still that, you know, they've had opportunities to get promoted or to go to investigations and they don't want nothing to do with it. You know, they just, they love being out and, mm-hmm. you know, running traffic and uh, you get a little bit of everything. So you were with the department for, for how many years? Was it about 20-something? Is that well, what it was? I was peaking for 15. 15, okay. And we had, I was the chairman of the bargaining unit for the union, and we had really rough contract negotiations. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to get my CDL, make a million dollars, and I'm done with law enforcement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a rude awakening coming, but... <laughs> Generally, <laughs> it's worked out. Um, so I left Pekin after 15 years. The same week or the same day, uh, my resignation went into effect. I started uh, the CDL school at ICC. Mm-hmm. Started out with Transport America, worked for them for about six months, and a lot of promises not kept, a lot of home time lost. My kids were little then, my mom was still alive. So I wanted to be home more, <laughs> so I left there. Yeah. Now, going through CDL school and all that, that feel pretty natural for you. Did you, was there anything, big surprises get going into a truck from no. you know, what you'd been doing? No. Well, yeah. I, I had always wondered if I could do it, you know. I think a lot of people wonder that, you know, can, can I drive something that big, that far and safely? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of a lot of the guys that I've trained have said the same thing. I think maybe a few of them probably that was why they were there was just to see if they could, hmm. you know. But uh, it was actually the best I ever did in a college course. I got a hundred and eight percent. How do you get a hundred eight percent? I actually got extra credit. I don't even remember what for, but. I got something, you know, like made the president's list or whatever, you know, and I'm like, it was just one class, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it was 100%. <laughs> I was pretty proud of that. So you got that to hang on your wall then. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so b- back uh, into your time as an officer, uh, w- was there any, do you have any stories to kind of share in there? Anything that sticks out to you that, well, I have a lot of stories, you know, and people ask me that a lot. You know, what's the craziest thing that mm-hmm. happened or what's the best thing that happened? And I just, when I start thinking of one thing, I think of another thing. And, sure. you know, I mean, I could go on and on. But, I mean, probably the scariest thing that happened or the closest I ever uh, came to pulling the trigger on somebody was, uh, we went to a house. We dealt with this family all the time. It was a domestic between two brothers. And a couple guys, including sergeant of the shift, went to the front door, and I went around back. And one of the brothers came out of the back and had a butcher knife oh. in his hand. And I don't know I don't know what he was on or whatever, but he, was, he wasn't stopping. He was coming right towards me. Yeah. 
I carried a 1911 45. I don't know how much you know about guns, but it had a three pound trigger on it. So there was not much pressure required. Sure. And I probably had two and three quarters pound taken off of it before he finally stopped and dropped the knife. And you know what they're fighting over? They, they had one of those 32-ounce Mountain Dews with the big mouth rim on it. Uh-huh. They were fighting over who got the last swallow of Mountain Dew. That is unbelievable. Yeah. That's stupid is what yeah. that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. As you didn't pull the trigger there, have you ever had to fire your, your weapon in, in duty? Uh, not in the, not in law enforcement. No. Okay. No. Which is, that, that's a good thing. I would say that's, that's, that's great. I would um, say that's a win. Yeah, absolutely. Had tasers come along while you were oh, still yeah. doing it? Yeah. Oh, did, did you ever get to try it on yourself? Did you, did you, have you ever been tased? I don't like electricity. Okay. <laughs> it scares me. I won't work on anything electrical. And I got shocked when I was a kid. Fell in my dad's camper, the Holden tank with water. Okay. There was a short somewhere in it, and I was leaning up against the camper, pouring water into it, and it kept shocking me. And my dad was like, it can't be shocking you. And I'm like, really, it is. And he's like, just give me the jug. And he started, and it shocked him, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't like electricity, but now when we first started carrying pepper spray, I've been pepper sprayed probably 10 times. Really? Yeah, it didn't bother me as much anymore but um the taser you know they'd be like well if you need to get tased so you know what it feels like i'm like i don't need to be shot I'd like do i need to be you shot know? to know what it feels like <laughs> i don't need to <laughs> yeah so i never did get tased we it wasn't a requirement yeah some of the guys did it but i did tase one of my best friends on accident on accident that's a pretty good story so <laughs> We're in the squad room, and I'm on day shift. My shift's over, second shift. The whole shift's in there for shift briefing. And investigators are in there, too. And one of my friends, Don, he's sitting there, and he's in an investigation, so he's got a shoulder holster on with a leather strap that runs across the back. And I'm standing behind him, and we didn't have enough tasers for everybody to keep them. We had like 10 of them that the shift took out. Mm -hmm. So I take my taser off and it hadn't been sitting in the holster, right? So I pull it out and I like flip it on its side to look at it. And when I did it, the strap caught the trigger and it, I hear pop. Oh no. (laughs) And I, I, I'm like, well, that's weird. And I look down and Don is like, He's got his arms up and, you know, and you could pull the trigger again and stop the taser. Otherwise, it'd give him five seconds. Right. Well, I was so shocked. <laughs> no pun intended. That, that that happened. That I'm like, huh. <laughs> well, your buddy's laying there. <laughs> I gave him the full five seconds. And I didn't even realize that. Until I just, as soon as it was done, he's like, get the barbs out of my back. So I pulled the little barbs out of his back and checked to see if he was okay. And then I went right down to the lieutenant's office, and Tim Gleason was the lieutenant, and he was in there. And I told him, I go, I just tased Baxter on accident. And he just starts laughing, and he goes, did you give him the full five seconds? And I, that's when it hit me that I did, that I could have turned it off. And I'm like, 
yeah, I guess I did. And he just, he high-fived me. And <laughs> What was the paperwork like on that? <laughs> you know, actually, I didn't have to do any. And it was kind of funny because the media was in the sergeant's office right next to the squad room doing an interview mm-hmm. like they do every day or right. whatever, going over the blotter. And they heard the commotion, and they're like, what was that? And the sergeant in there's like, nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I must have called Don 30 times that night to check on it. Oh, goodness. It was like, finally he goes, Jeff, quit calling me. I'm okay. And I'm like, I'm not. So I'm sure you're okay. I'm not so much concerned about that. I just want you to know that was an accident, right? You're not going to retaliate. Right? <laughs> Three weeks later, Jeff's on the floor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> he never did get me back. And we're still friends. So That's great. He's actually a deputy chief with the police department now. Awesome. Awesome. So obviously you get to stay in touch with the guys that, that you worked with. Yep. There, There's there, a lot of new ones I don't know. Yeah. But there's there's probably a certain bond and brotherhood that uh, that's created there, isn't there? Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the things that's always appealed to me about the military, law enforcement, paramilitary type stuff. You know, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had everybody's names, numbers, you know, addresses, and well, it was the early '90s. You know, we didn't have cell phones. Right, you weren't storing stuff in your contacts list like yeah, that. Yeah, there's no internet. You know or not like it is now. So you lose track of that stuff over time. Well, then 2008, 2009, 2010, somewhere in there, Facebook comes along. And I didn't join it for the longest time. I think it was almost 2011 before I joined. Mm -hmm. And I started looking guys up. That's why I joined Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I think it started out, you'd find two or three, you know, and then, Six months later, you'd look again, and I think there's probably 50 of us now. Wow. Out of 60, maybe, in the platoon that we've all reconnected. That's pretty cool. Yeah. We've had uh, reunions. That's one of the positives of the technology. It is. You know, take the bad with the good, but that that's that's the good part right there. Yeah. That you, you would have never, without other private investigators or, you know, research, you know, all this to try to track down, you know, any of these guys. Never would have, never would have uh, been able to reconnect like that. Yeah. You know, because, well, I tried one of my buddies. I called the number that I had for his parents. Well, they had both died, Mm. you know, 10 years before, and I was trying to get a hold of him. and, And then we all meet up on Facebook and, I don't know, 2016, I think, was our 25 years since the Gulf War. And two of the guys from my platoon live in Las Vegas. And it's kind of a destination anyway. Sure. So we all met in Vegas and Fun. went to the Marine Corps League there and cooked a pig in the backyard of my buddy's house. And nice. We had a blast. That's cool. Yeah, it was, That's it was cool. super cool. That's nice. So... Since we kind of got on that topic of just the technology and everything, how do you feel about the, the technology in today and like in now in trucking and everything? How do you view it? Nobody asked me. You know, it's here. It's here to stay. So I know there. Do you embrace it? I do. I. What else are you gonna do? I. I still. I have years to work yet. You know. 
I have friends. I have a friend, a very good friend that's an owner operator and he fights it. Mm-hmm. He hates it, you know, and it's always ah, these ELDs, you know, I'm like, they're here to stay. And he goes, it doesn't mean I have to like it. No, but you're <laughs> causing yourself stress. You know? <laughs> right. Might as well just get on board. Yeah, totally get it. So now you, uh, you said you were at um, another company started there and then eventually made your way here to news bomb. Well, I, yeah, I started with Transport America, and I worked for them for six months. I'm not going to badmouth them and say they're a bad company or anything, but what the recruiter told me and what actually happened were two different things. Sure. Surprise, surprise. Um, That's so, an unfortunate story across the industry. Right, right, yeah. And and people will, could even say it here at points, whether it's truth or not. You know, we do our best to... To give you the straight story, but sometimes... Well, but that's the difference here, and I'll get into that. I'll go into that all you want. I'll let you. <laughs> but, um, you know, it just didn't work out. I yeah. wasn't even mad at them at the time. Sure. I just, I didn't realize, you know, and that's one thing I try and stress to my trainees. You see what you're doing now. You just started it. It's not bad. But in six months, are you still going to want to be doing this, you know? Because it's... It's, you know, what your wife sees, my wife probably sees me going out Well, she's been out with me three times, so she knows, but she sees me, you know, initially she sees me going out and going to Colorado and sunny places and Mm -hmm. things like that. And she has no idea or had no idea. I keep saying has, but (laughs) she had no idea how much work actually goes into it and how there's not a lot of fun out there, you know, and I think a lot of guys come into this and they think it's going to be a certain way. Mm. And then they find out it's not, you know, but what I, what I wanted to say really quick was after working at transport America for six months, I got hired. It was, it used to be Wurtz beverage before that. It was judge and Dolph, a big liquor distributor in Illinois. And I worked for Wurtz for two years and my area was Decatur. So then that was when we were in Peoria. They're in Lexington now. Mm-hmm. But we were in Peoria at the time. So I did that for two years. And then the sergeant in North Pekin asked me to come to North Pekin PD full time. So I went to North Pekin. Okay. And I spent another five years there. Gotcha. And when I left there, I'm like, eh. I was just done. I'm done with law enforcement. You know, I can safely say that now. It was great. I love it, but it's changed so much. Attitudes have changed about it. I'm more old school. But with the trucking, it was easy for me to transition back into it. I had called everybody. It looked like I was going to Swift. I was going to mm. through their refresher thing in Kansas City. And my friend that I was telling you about that's an owner-operator said, well, I work for a guy here in El Paso, Illinois, owns RJR Trucking. Let me talk to him. So Rodney from there called me, and he said, if my insurance company, or I actually went in for an interview, he said, if my insurance company will take you, because I'd been out of truck seven years at that point. He said, if they'll take you, I'll hire you. And they agreed, so... I went out with BJ, my friend, for a week, and then they said, here you go. Here's this Peterbilt 386. I was like, 
I'm not sure I'm ready for this. (laughs) It had been seven years since, you know, I had done it. And it was flat betting, which I had one week to learn how to. That's a whole other animal there. I had one week to learn where to put the straps and chains Mm -hmm. and, you know, what to do. And the good thing about that was there was most of the time we were going to job sites where there was three or four trucks going. So if I needed help with something or, or somebody else there, to... there was usually somebody else there. And I that's, wasn't that's always. Good. And then from there, from the job site, you might all forego in different locations to pick something else right. up, you know. So, but it was a good experience. Yeah. But I wanted to come here really bad. How how did you know about here? I mean, obviously been in the area, but a friend of mine, Jeff Johns, he still works here. His I ran into his wife, and she told me that he was driving a truck for Nussbaum. And I really, I was familiar with it from the trucks on the road, but I didn't really know a whole lot about it. Mm -hmm. So I called him and asked him about it, and he, you know, gave me the scoop and told me what I needed to know about the company. So I called Tian, and that was, I had been back in the truck for about six months at that point. And she said, no, you got to have a year. You got to have a year. I'm like, ah, oh, all right. <laughs> so, and by then I had researched it on my own, and I, I knew this was where I wanted to come. So I waited my year. She, called, she told me, I'll call you in June. And I thought, I'll never hear from her. I'll have to call. You know, she did. She called me before I called her. Awesome. And we set it up for the 1st of August orientation because that gave me my year on with RJR and let me have my two weeks vacation that I had accrued with them or my one week. And uh, then I came here and haven't looked back. Yeah. So, so you kind of talked about the, you mentioned the difference in expectations, you know, recruiters set, you know, at, at different places. And again, the unfortunate story is that there's in some cases, bait and switch, but other times it's just you don't get a full story. You don't get the full picture, and uh, sometimes just flat-out lying. You know, that's really unfortunate. I think that's, that's the case, more. But, that's mostly the case. But coming here, what what made you feel different about coming here? Why why did you feel like this was definitely where you wanted to, to end up? The culture. Uh, the whole culture here is just, I mean, people have said it, and I really didn't know what it meant until I was here for a while. Well, the first thing that anybody notices about Newsbomb is how nice everybody is. You know, it's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know? <laughs> okay, everybody's really nice right now, but when's that going to change? You know, well, I've been here three and a half years and it's never changed. You know, other companies, not only that I've worked at, but that I've heard about, you know, I mean, it's constant fighting with your driver manager and, you know, with the planners and whatever, but you don't have that here. You know, I would never call Matt Cheever as my DM. I would never call him and start cursing at him. And Mm -hmm. I know he would never do the same thing to me. Right. You know, it's a mutual respect and it just, it goes throughout the company from Brent on down to everybody else, you know? Yeah. I I can't say enough about it. (laughs) I really can't. Uh, well, and I, I I do think that it really is. It's easy just to say the word culture, you know. It's the culture, but what does that mean, you know? What and it, it's it's kind of hard to put a finger on it sometimes. But you mentioned everybody's just so nice. It 
the people that we get to work with here, not just here in the office, but the drivers, the people that we get to interact with on a daily basis are what make it, you know, special. Well, yeah, I mean, it's everything, you know, from the mission statement, you know, through the office, through your planners, through your DMs, HR, the recruiters. You know, it starts with the recruiters. Tian's got a lot of pride in this company, you know. She she loves New Spawn for good reason. Sure. But she's, she doesn't lie to anybody. None. Of, I don't think any of the recruiters do that. If there's a miscommunication or something, they feel genuinely bad about that, mm-hmm. you know, and they try and accommodate. I've seen them go above and beyond many, many times for people, myself included. Mm. And if that ever changes, then maybe my attitude about new spot will change, but I don't see it changing. I hope it doesn't. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, that, and that's, that's one of the things that, you know, I think, especially as we grow as a company, because we've done a lot of growth, right? You've seen a lot of that yeah. just in your time here. Um, trying to maintain that culture and really not losing some of that, you know, because it's, it, it's hard to keep a hold of something that's that unique uh, if you start growing too quickly. And, uh, but having people like yourself in here that then are mentoring other drivers coming in, I think is, is a huge uh, asset and, and part of helping keep that culture alive. Yeah. And well, that's another thing. We, you know, we have a lot of people here like that. We have a lot of good trainers. When I first went through train the trainer, I, I just went through my third one in August. But when I went through the first one, the whole training program was relatively new. I mean, we had, I don't know how many trainers, but I know we had AJ, the legend, you know? Yes. <laughs> yes. I can't, I can't say enough good things about AJ. Love AJ. He's, he's something else. But, uh, you know, I, we didn't have a whole lot, you know, we we're starting to bring more on. It was really cool going through that first class with five or six other guys who had the same attitude about Nussbaum that I did. And, you know, it's people coming together and making things work. You know, they they listen to what you know, these driver surveys. I know they drive me nuts. They always call it the worst time. We're with so-and-so. We want to enter. You know, yeah. We want to do the survey which is happening right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know i know i already missed a phone call but if you work somewhere else that didn't do that you'd never get your chance to be heard and not only heard but actually listened to you know which they do here yeah you know if we have a suggestion how many places we have a washer and dryer two of them two washers two dryers out you know why because somebody said It'd be nice to be able to do our laundry at the terminal. Okay. So they brought bought two brand new washers and dryers. You know, not a lot of places would do and not only are they free to use, but they provide laundry soap. That's unheard of. You don't have places do that. Yeah. Well, and how do you feel about just the access you have to people here inside the, the company? Oh, that well, that's another thing. You know, I had probably been here maybe six months. And I came in to talk to Matt, and Brent Newsbaum was standing there with a group of people 
and excused himself, came over, shook my hand, asked me how I was doing, called me by name. For some people, that may not be a big thing. It's not the act itself. It's what it implies. Mm-hmm. You know, that he cares about people that work for him. He takes the time. He knows who you are. I don't know how good he's doing at that now that we're double the drivers we were when I first started. I know it gets, it gets tough to remember names, mm-hmm. but I do. I, I know from experience and, and being a person in that group occasionally and where he excuses himself to go, you know, say hi to a driver. Sometimes it's remind me your name, but the fact that he's going there and you know letting you know that you're valued, you're important in this company. Yeah. And, and I want to take time to appreciate that. that. Yep. That's huge. Mm-hmm. I think so. Well, Hey, I want to like get, get on kind of wrapping this up, but I want to circle back real quick uh, to something that I'm a little bit more interested in here personally. And that is the, the whole firearms training. Now I, I don't have a whole lot of familiarity with, with firearms. I've, I've, I've fired. I don't own any. Um, I, I enjoy it, but are you still do Do you, do you still do any sort of, um, training whatsoever or uh, like the like whether like on the old carry and yeah anything like that no I pretty much you know I guess technically I don't know I'd have to check on it but I guess technically I'm still recognized by the state as a, a certified master of firearms instructor okay so it probably wouldn't be too hard for me to make that jump over yeah. into concealed carry but I never have yeah but I could like call you up sometime maybe and we can go to the range and you can show me some things Oh yeah, I can, I can teach you how to shoot. Well, yeah. some people are untrainable, you know. But. Well, yeah. Well, I I think I I have what it takes, but uh, you know, for me, it's really just learning more about the weapons themselves and um, how they. And I don't know, did I use a bad term there saying weapons, or is that? That's fine. Some people, you know, firearm. No, <laughs> but. Uh, it is what it is, right? Um, now, if you call a clip a magazine or a magazine a clip, then I'll correct you. But <laughs> fair enough, you're okay. Fair enough, but yeah, just learn some of the just the the intricacies of, of each different um, you know firearm, you know, from you know a Glock to a Beretta to you know whatever, you know, and and what each does, why why you use them. So those are things that I'm not super familiar with, um, but would be fun to learn from somebody that knows their stuff. I think that, that'd be kind of neat. So I mean, did, did you, how much did you go into when you were doing uh, training with uh, the department there? Like what all are you really covering? What are you training uh, officers on? Well, the nomenclature and everything, not so much. Okay. I mean, that's more something that I think by the time you become a police officer, you should already know. You know a lot of that. That's that's fair. You know, but I did focus a lot on, you know, side alignment and technique and. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hitting your target every time under Mm -hmm. stress. We did a lot of realistic training. Yeah. We would go out and qualify at the paper targets twice a year. And, you know, that was for score. But the best training that we did was when it was more like realistic, you know, and sometimes you just got to get creative. I remember uh, the sergeant in charge of it. uh, He took water jugs and filled them up and then tied ropes around the, it was milk jugs, you know, sure, and tied ropes around the handles and would take off pulling it. And you'd try hit the, hit the jug as it was bouncing across the ground, you know? Yeah. It was just a cheap way to improve 
accuracy and training. It was kind of cool. Yeah. So now we've got here at News Farm, um, Corey does uh, this fuel challenge, uh, you know, skills challenge, whatever you want to call it. And he kind of sets a standard of sorts. Like people go after him and want to beat the score that he gets in a run. Right. Few have done it. <laughs> Few have done it. Were, was that kind of the same for you? Did you do anything like that at all in, in your training? Did were were you the standard, or did you have? Oh, we had we had a Top Gun competition every year. I think I won it two years. Um, with the scoring system we had, anything from a five hundred to a four eighty five was a master. Okay. Uh, below that, you know, you, you had expert and then sharpshooter and marksman and then. You qualified, but no, uh, no badge, and then you didn't qualify. Um, I qualified at the master between four eighty five and five hundred every time, but I wasn't always top gun. In fact, there was a lot of times I wasn't. You know, you'd have a guy beat you by one point. You know, which when you're doing a fifty round qualification course, just one point. Yeah, where that round is inside or outside that black, you know, it just could just be by a hair. It got pretty, pretty fierce competing. Yeah, yeah. But sounds like, though, I mean, pretty consistent, though, for you to to be up there at the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. Definitely. I mean. So, I mean, if if, if you and I are going to go out to the range and do some uh, shooting, you're going to outshoot me. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> Unless but, I'm hustling you right now. You know what? Though? Yeah, you could be. Uh, it's been, I don't shoot as much as I used to. Okay. I used to shoot every week. And it's it's not like riding a bike. It's something you need to practice. I mean, I'm sure I'm still, you know, pretty good. But I'm not as good as I was yeah. during those years, you know. What's your go-to? On a firearm? Yeah. A 1911, 45. I won't. I wouldn't shoot a nine millimeter. I call them minor calibers. Why shoot somebody with something little when you can shoot them with something big? You know, because the purpose of it. I mean, when you're talking defense and everything, it's it's to stop it's stopping power, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I I don't know. I have a place in my heart for 1911s. Yeah, and you know now it used to be you got you bought a 1911, you had to take it in to somebody in armor or something to have it reworked and, you know, throated and polished and different custom accessories put on it. Now you can buy those guns right out of the box. You know, <laughs> Kimber is outstanding with that. You can buy a Kimber custom 1911 right, you know, right off the shelf. And it's already had all that stuff done to it. Yeah. I, th- I just like 1911s. <laughs> That's cool. Anything else, Jeff, that you'd like to share um, about yourself or um, bits of wisdom that you'd like to share uh, before we close? Well, I don't have much wisdom, but I bet you have a lot more than than you're giving yourself credit for. But well, I was, I you can go down the mountain a million times too slow, but you can only go down it once too fast. You know, and really that translates into a lot of things. You know, we're in the winter season, and I absolutely hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate going out there and trying to drive these trucks in it. And 
you know, sometimes you can only make 100 miles a day. It's just, it's a tough time of year for everybody, but I think people here mostly do a pretty good job with that. I don't know. You asked for wisdom. <laughs> That's all I could think of. <laughs> Somebody told me that once a long time ago, and I remembered it. Yeah, actually, I remember. Um, oh, I hate that. I can't remember. Um, his name's escaping me right now, but we, um, I remember doing a, another interview uh, with another driver that used to, you know, kind of had that same saying that, you know, it's, I know it's been, been around for quite a while, but um, if that's what sticks, then. I think about it every time I go down a hill, whether it's slick surface or not, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um, New spawn means a lot to me. I know it means a lot to a lot of people. Shout out to my driver, manager, Matt. We've gotten in a few arguments, nothing serious, but mm-hmm. I he he's great. Everybody here has been really good to me when I need to get home, whatever. You know, it just works here. Wow. Better than any place I've ever heard of. Well, and I definitely did not intend uh, for our conversation to go to where you're making glowing comments about the company, but... I really appreciate having you here and you having that that feeling being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 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 means that means something to me personally. For one, trying to you know be a part of this family and and help make Newsbomb uh, as great a place as it can be to to work and and come to every day. Uh, so that means a lot to me. But I want to personally thank you uh, for your service, both in the military and in uh, law enforcement and everything that you've done to help protect us and uh, make this, you know, place, this world, a better place to live as well. Just don't get in front of me when I got a taser. (laughs) (laughs) Just warn me that you got one. (laughs) Lesson. Some people have learned the hard way. (laughs) Poor guy. Jeff, I appreciate you taking the time here and uh, sharing uh, your story with us and, uh, we'll see you around and uh, stay safe out there on the road. All right. Well, thanks, Philip. Yep. Thanks, Jeff. You've been listening to Terminal Exchange, the official podcast show of Nussbaum Transportation. Nussbaum is an industry leader in over-the-road freight transportation. For more information on Nussbaum's award-winning truckload services and top-paying driving careers, go to Nussbaum.com or NussbaumJobs.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Terminal Exchange. New episodes arrive every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts and share a little love by writing us a review. Then go deeper into each exchange or listen to previous episodes at our podcast page, TerminalExchange.org.